We are in week nine, week nine of the 10 series. We'll wrap this up next week. Um, we're going to look at a passage in John. You can go ahead and turn it to John. It is in the New Testament. If you get to Matthew or Mark or Luke, you're close. Just keep going to the right in your Bible and you will be in John. Go ahead and turn there. While you're turning there, let me just say this. We have taken um, each week and we have talked through a word that has the number 10 in it. Don't know if you've caught on to that yet or not, but it has the number 10 in it. Here are the words that we've talked about to this point. Intentional, contentment, attention, tension, consistency, tenacious, potential. Last week, Phil taught us on walking on a path that is straightened. This morning, we're going to look at another word with 10 in it. The word is extended, extended. We're going to read in John. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 32 and 33. Jesus is talking. And he says this, But I, Jesus, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to, him, to myself. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So here's a quick question. What's Jesus referring to? You're looking at the screen for an answer. There's not one. <laughs> What's he talking about? Is he talking about going to church? No. Is he talking about going to community groups? Now, now, now we believe in community groups, right? If Jesus was here this morning, I would say, Jesus, go to a community group. But he's not talking about a community group. Is he talking about morning Bible study? No. What is he talking about when he says, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself? See, most of us, we're sitting in church, we're like, this is a trick question, I know, and he's waiting on me to say it, and I'm going to say it really loud, it's going to be wrong, I'm going to be really embarrassed. But he told us what it is in the very next verse. He said this to refer to what kind of death he was going to die. How did Jesus die? Anybody know? On the cross. So we're talking about the cross in this passage, the context is an amazing statement about Jesus being able to draw all men to himself because of the cross. So here's a question that I need to ask. How high was the cross lifted? All the way. All the way. The cross was lifted all the way up. Not partially. On the cross, Jesus was fully extended. And his disciples, look at the person next to you. If they're a follower of Jesus Christ, they've got to live lives that are fully extended as well. So I want to make sure we have the right image of what I mean by fully extended. So let me just take you back to January the 10th, 1982. Raise your hand if you were not born in 1982. I have my hand up. Of course, I'm lying, right? <laughs> Some of you weren't even born yet, okay? Let me take you back to this date. January the 10th, 1982, the NFC Championship game in Candlestick Park between the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers. The San Francisco 49ers are trailing 27 to 21. They take the field at their own 11-yard line with less than five minutes to go. Joe Montana. Who's heard of Joe Montana? Good quarterback. Joe Montana walks out in the huddle. He drives his team methodically down the field until with 58 seconds to go in the game, they are on the six-yard line of the Dallas Cowboys, third and goal. 
And so they call a play. Montana drops back. He rolls to the right, and he is under tremendous pressure. I brought a picture to show you of the pressure that he's under. He's under tremendous pressure from three gigantic Dallas Cowboy fan players. Who in here is a Dallas Cowboy fan? Let me see. We got a couple. Okay. Just want to make sure I know who to pray for. It's all right. It's good. So even right now, even you know this happened like way back in 1982, but even now, if you're a Cowboys fan, you're saying, please tackle Joe Montana. I mean, you're hoping somehow that picture can come to life and they can tackle him, but they don't. And so in an effort to get rid of it, this play was actually called for a wide receiver named Freddie Solomon. He was supposed to be open, but he was not. And so Montana, he's under duress. He's under pressure. So all he does is he throws the ball to the back of the end zone where he knows possibly a tight end by the name of Dwight Clark could be. But he throws it high. He's obviously trying to throw it away. But when Dwight Clark sees it coming, he reaches up and he catches the ball. Got a picture of that. Fantastic picture of Dwight Clark. Made the man famous. Anybody know how this play went down in the lore of NFL football? It is called the catch. Now, you know you've made a great play when they call it the catch. Of all the catches that ever happened in the history of the NFL football, football, that's the one called the catch. And this is the picture I want you to get in your head. Okay? Just go ahead and stare at it. Let it burn in your brain. Because every time I talk about being extended this morning, I want you to picture Dwight Clark, fingertips on the ball, jumping as high as a white man can jump, and snatching that ball out of the air and winning the game for his team. San Francisco won 28-27, which makes me happy because I'm not a Cowboys fan. (laughs) Thank you. So here we go. I got five points about an extended life. The first one is an extended life is one of dependence. Now, I found out this morning that if you're spelling dependence, you can spell it with an A or an E, and you'll both be right. I wish all words were like that. I would have made better scores on my spelling test. Let's look at the teacher and go, anything works. It's an extended life is one of dependence. When we fully extend ourselves, we also fully expose ourselves. So when Dwight Clark is going up to make the catch, here's a couple of things that he's depending on. Number one, that the trainers will be able to fix him if he gets hurt, right? He's depending on the 49ers to reward him financially for taking the risk and getting his team in the Super Bowl. He is depending on his teammates that they have done what is necessary to protect him. He's also depending on the coaches to have drawn up a play that is designed to take the danger as far away from him as possible. These are all the things that are going on in his mind. When he jumps up to catch the ball, he's depending on all of those things to take place. It's not any different for you or for me, even if we don't play professional sports. Turn quickly. Just keep your finger there, John. Turn to Proverbs. That's in the Old Testament. If you find Psalms, it's one book to the right. Proverbs 2, 8. Proverbs 2.8 says this. For he, God, he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. If we're going to live an extended life, here's what we have to do. 
We have to trust that God is able to protect us. And here's why. Because when you live fully extended, you are at the same time, simultaneously, you are your most productive and your most vulnerable. Dwight Clark probably never caught a catch as awesome as that catch. They didn't have the catch two or the catch three or the almost as good as the first catch catch. He just has the catch. At one split second, one moment, he was the most productive he would ever be in his entire career, and he was also the most vulnerable. Because if you've ever played football and you were a defensive back, you loved to watch receivers extend. Because where would you hit them? Right here. Just tear them up. So if you're living an extended life for Christ, you are your most productive and your most vulnerable, which is why Proverbs 2 8 is so important. Listen, we serve a God who protects the way of his faithful ones. He protects us. Here's a question I want you to ask yourself. Write it on your sheet of paper. Are you living your life in a way that gives God something to protect? Are you living your life in such a way that gives God something to protect? Am I living my life in such a way that I give God something to protect? Sometimes the extended life doesn't work out like we want. Because the extended life is not only a life of dependence, it's also a life of difficulties. Number two is an extended life is one of difficulties. Second Corinthians, um, you've been reading, if you're in the 10 series, you've been reading about Paul in Acts. You've just finished reading Philippians and uh, Colossians and now Timothy. You've been reading some of the things that he wrote. Here's another passage that he wrote, Second Corinthians chapter 11. 23 to 28. Let me just read what he wrote about his life. He says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. I mean, we don't even know what that means, do we? It just doesn't sound good. I don't think he's talking about eyelashes. Here. Take those. Forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. In, are you seeing a theme here? In danger at sea and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and I have often gone without sleep. Apparently, Paul was a college student who had exams. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Let me just recap this, okay? Here's what Paul just said. I'm living a life that's extended in ministry, right? And we love that. So what we, go, we get up and say, hey, look, if you'll extend your life in ministry, God will reward you. He will bless you. You're going to be fantastic. You're going to write best-selling books. It's going to be excellent. And Paul would stand up and say, I have a testimony I'd like to share. I'm extending my life in ministry, and I have to this point, I've been in prison, flogged five times, exposed to death, beaten with rods three times, stoned, shipwrecked three times, life on the open sea, constantly on the move. I thought about Wendy and I when we, when we built our first house. I mean, we've lived in houses, you know, all along, but when we finally built our first house, like we, the one you, you drive by every day, every week to see the progress, and you're like, 
oh, that's going to be the study. That's going to be the kitchen. I can see it in my mind's eye because right now it's just concrete. But you watch it. And we walked in, and the first thing out of my mouth was, this is awesome. And the first thing out of Wendy's mouth was, we're not going to be here long. And so I said, get behind me, Satan. And then she slapped me. Welcome home. (laughs) We were there eight months. Brand new house. Loved it. Eight months. Sometimes that's what happens when you're dependent on God, when you are living a life of extended for him. Because we got a call from a church that said, we think Jesus wants you here. And Jesus said they were right. And so we sold a house that we loved for eight months and left and lived with my parents, which was awesome for a day. It's possible that Paul was on the move. I don't mean me, but I mean Paul in the Bible. It's possible that God kept Paul on the move so, God, so that God could keep Paul alive. I mean, have you read Acts? Did you read it for the 10 series? Like, Paul's ministry was, I showed up at a city. I went and preached. They lowered me in a basket outside the wall as people threw things that were on fire at me. I mean, he kind of had to be on the move. He couldn't stay in one place. Maybe God was keeping him alive. He was in danger from rivers, bandits, his countrymen, Gentiles, city, county, at sea, false brothers. He worked a lot. He slept a little, hungry, thirsty. He often went without food. And I do not mean that he um, didn't have his favorite snack in the pantry, right? Like when I, I know y'all don't do this, but when I open the freezer expecting to see cookie dough ice cream and it's not there, I close it and I open it again. I'm sure it's going to just materialize. And then I close it, and I walk away, and I come back later, and I open it again. And then I'm like, who ate the ice cream? And Wendy says, we don't have any ice cream. Nobody ate it. Ugh, that's not what we're talking about. When Paul says he was hungry, he didn't have any food. We're talking about a pantry with no food, not just not my favorite stuff. Oh, I'm going to have to eat this ice cream without magic shell. That's not what we're talking about which that is a a burden to bear, okay, because magic shell is phenomenal. He was cold. He was naked. He was burdened. He was burdened. This blows my mind. Did you catch this at the end? He was burdened for the very thing that caused him to experience all the difficulties we just read. Like, if we were experiencing all that stuff, like, let's just say that you were friends with a jerk. Not that you would ever do that. At some point, don't you turn to them and say, I don't like the way you make me feel. And you leave them. Paul is serving Jesus. He's fully extended in ministry to Jesus. And he goes through this long list of things that happen. And at the end, instead of saying to Jesus, I don't like the way you make me feel, he says, and I daily experience the burden that causes me to experience all that stuff. Like, I would love to not be shipwrecked, but I can't not go tell people about Jesus. I'm going to be honest with you. You can leave after today. If you're living your life without a burden, you're not saved. I'm not saved. If we can go through this life and not once feel like, oh, I need to reach people for Jesus. 
we don't know the salvation of Christ. Our hearts have become hard. We need God to like get a jackhammer and <laughs> our hearts. The Bible's full of places that say, soften my heart, Lord. Paul said, I can't not do this. Do you remember when Peter said to Jesus about leaving? I mean, we read it like we make Peter look good. Where else would I go, Lord? But what Peter's really saying is, I would go anywhere else if I could, but I can't. You alone have the words of life. The, the Christian life, when we truly live it extended, it's full of difficulties. It's full of dependence on God. It's full of difficulties. And it's also full of discernment, which is why Paul never complained. He's not reading a list complaining. He's reading a list and saying, look, I, I went through all this, but I went through it for a reason. Because I have an extended life, it is full of discernment. Discernment helps us to understand the why behind the what. Why is this happening? Why? Why am I being shipwrecked? Why am I being stoned? Oh, that's right, because I am bearing the gospel to the world. Discernment allows us to keep the right perspective. It changes our assumptions and replaces them with awareness. You know what assumptions are? Everybody has them, right? James Dobson tells this story about when he was like an intern serving his time in a mental, on the, on the psych unit of a hospital as a student. He had to go around and check on people. He said he had this one patient. The patient believed he was dead. So James Dobson says, I'm trying to have this conversation with a guy like, you're, you can't be dead. You're here. He's like, no, I'm, I'm dead. He said, look, okay, um, do dead men bleed? And the guy stopped and went, no, dead men don't bleed. And James Thompson said he grabbed him and he pricked his finger and he squeezed it and the blood started coming out. He goes, look, look, what do you think about that? And the guy went, whoa, dead men do bleed. <laughs> assumptions. All of us have assumptions, right? We all have assumptions. And here's the thing. When we have discernment, when we start to see the why behind the what, it challenges our assumptions. And it replaces it with awareness. Now, if you, if you think that you're dead and then you see bleed, you're bleeding and you still think you're dead, that's why you're on the psych unit. But those of us that are not on the psych unit, when we see evidence, it should challenge our assumptions. It should replace them with awareness. Here's a great example. Two good examples. When I, um, when I worked as a teenager, I worked at a, a place here called Camp Lots of Fun. I don't know if anybody here remembers Camp Lots of Fun, but you know it's going to be a great camp when it's called Camp Lots of Fun. And it was for, for special needs kids. And so two of the guys that I met at Camp Lots of Fun were Tom and Harry. And so here's kind of how th their, their special needs, they had these unique things about them. Um, Tom would always walk around. He had this really weird deep voice, and he would go, I'm going to stick you, I'm going to stick you. And he would just like hold this invisible pin and like, I'm going to stick you, I'm going to stick you. So we thought that was hilarious, right? And then we had um, Harry, and Harry had this really unique laugh. <laughs> That's how he laughed. It's Tom and, and I'm going to stick you. <laughs> now, so one day, one day, you know, we're sitting at Camp Lots of Fun, and we're playing Duck, Duck, Goose. And it just so happens that Harry's sitting there, and um, 
Tom taps him and says, Goose. And so Harry, Harry jumps up and starts walking around the circle. <laughs> and, and Tom's behind him going, I'm going to stick you. I'm going to stick you. <laughs> I'm going to stick you. I'm going to stick you. <laughs> and then he stuck him. And the invisible thing stuck him. And when he did, like, the laughter got replaced with real crying. Like, there wasn't a pin. But Harry says, ah, <laughs> he stuck me. And all the counselors who had been laughing at how funny this looked are suddenly doing what? Oh, Harry, it's, it's okay. Oh, it's okay. He, he didn't really stick you. It just changed everything. It's called a paradigm shift. Write that down. That'll make you sound smart later. A paradigm shift. When you see it one way and then something happens and you see it a different way. There was a man who was sitting on a subway in Chicago. He was reading his paper. And at the stop, the doors opened and another man walked in with three or four children and they were going crazy. Kids were out of control on the subway. Running around, screaming, yelling, like every, every now and then, like hit his paper and messed it up. And so he's getting mad. None of y'all would ever do that, I'm sure. You'd be happy about all that. That's great. Just keep kicking my paper. He was getting livid. And so finally, he'd had all he could take, and he put his paper down. He said, sir, you have got to get control of your children. And that man just looked at me. He said, oh, I'm so, I know you're right. I, we just left the hospital. Their mom just died. And I just, I don't know what I'm going to do. And in a moment, in a moment, an assumption is replaced with awareness. And the man went from being livid and mad to being compassionate. How can I help? What I want you to understand is God wants you to have discernment. He wants you to see the why behind the what. He wants you to quit making assumptions. He wants you to see what's really going on so that you can be aware of the situation. An extended life is a life of discernment. And here's why. Because you're going to find yourself reaching out to people who really tick you off. And as long as they tick you off, you don't want to reach out to them, do you? I mean, that old lady that won't get out of your way when you're driving the car happened to me the other day. I didn't want to reach out and tell her Jesus loved her. I just wanted to reach out and move her car. Like, just get over. I'm going through. See ya. But discernment would say what? Wait a second. Maybe something's going on. Maybe there's more to this than I can see. An extended life is a life of discernment. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Paul said this. My grace, Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we face hard times, we're not just facing hard times. We're being broken more and more so that God's power can be revealed in our weakness. And is it easy? That's an easy answer right there. Is it easy? No, absolutely not. Possibly the hardest thing we'll ever do. The easy thing to do would be this, to lower our lives, 
to go into a protective mode and make sure we never get hurt again. When I asked Wendy's dad to bless our marriage, and he said, no, it was a fun day. We chose to wait. I asked another time. He said, no. I asked another time. He said, I think I got like seven or eight times. I probably should have gotten the message. But <laughs> at some point, we just we talked. Wendy and I did. And it was like, you know, this is stupid. We're adults. We're adults. This is crazy. We can get married if we want to get married. Ha! But discernment says to understand the why behind the what. And could we have gotten married? Absolutely. But did I want her father who did not know Jesus to come to know Jesus? Absolutely. And because of that, we wanted to honor him. And so we waited. We trusted. We didn't lower ourselves into protective mode. We continued to fully extend ourselves to a man that we want to come to know Jesus. It's hard to live a life of discernment. Living like that requires discipline. That's number four. An extended life is one of discipline. All right, I'm going to read you a verse. You're going to love it, and you're going to make it your life verse. And then I'm going to tell you what it really means, and you're going to scratch all that out, and it's not going to be your life verse anymore. 1 Corinthians 9, 22. While you're turning there, let me just recap, okay? An extended life is one of dependence. It's one of difficulties. It's one of discernment. And because we're discerning things, we're kind of trying to see what's going on behind the scenes, we've got to have discipline. Extended life is one of discipline. 1 Corinthians 9, 22, Paul's writing, and here's what he says. To the weak, I've become weak to win the weak. And I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. We love this verse. And here's why. Because we read it and we go, this is awesome, man. I don't have to quit drinking. I'm going to be a drunk to the drunks, baby. I don't have to quit disobeying my parents. I'm going to be a parent disobeyer to reach the parent disobeyers. It's going to be awesome. We fill that in with whatever we like to do. We think, that's, man, that's, I get to do anything that I want. And that's not what Paul's saying at all. It's about living lives full of discipline. To say no to good things in order to say yes to greater things. Let me just tell you how I got there. You can just write these down. 1 Corinthians 9.1, Paul says that he had rights. At the beginning of this chapter, he just said, look, I got rights. I can do, like we're talking about getting married to Wendy. I can do anything I want. How many of you are adults? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I want you to make sure you know you're an adult, right? Uh, I think so. I think I'm an adult. I'm 27. Still living at home. Not sure. You've got rights. We have rights. Paul said it right there in 1 Corinthians 9.1. He said, I, as an apostle, I have rights. And then you get to verse 15, and he says, but I didn't use them. I laid my rights down. He lived with discipline. The verses that come right after, the one that we just read, he says this in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. 
They do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. So I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body, make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. That's a man of discipline. Discipline. And if you want to live a life that's extended to the world, you've got to be a person of discipline. And we are disciplined in so many areas of our lives, aren't we? I mean, I'm just, I constantly, athletes for me, I mean, people go to the gym all the time. We're so disciplined. We won't eat sweets. We'll run. We'll do all kinds of stuff. We understand discipline because it pays off in the end. And Paul's saying, look, if you want to be extended to the world, you've got to have discipline in your life. You don't just get to do whatever you want to do. You have the right to do that, but you get to lay that down so that at the end we're not disqualified. Number five, an extended life is one of desire. Just about done. Now, the good thing is that you've been listening, and at this point, you're thinking, if he gives an altar call to live an extended life, I don't want to sign up. And that's perfectly normal. That makes you like Jesus. Matthew, chapter 26, verses 36 to 39, Jesus is in, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's getting ready to go die, and he is praying. And he says two really important phrases. One, he says to God, let this cup pass from me which is stuff we don't say nowadays, right? But basically what it means is this. I don't want to go die. I'd like to find any other way possible to do this. I don't have any desire in me to go get up on a cross and be crucified. So if you can come up with another plan, God, like the magic button, I'm all in. Let this cup pass is the prayer of a man who understands the cost of the extended life. But then he says, not my will, but yours be done. That's the prayer of a man who understands the benefit of the extended life. So if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't even have, have no desire to do what you're talking about, Paul, at all. That just makes you like everybody else. Nobody desires to sign up for this stuff until they understand the why behind the what. Until they start to see it from an eternal perspective. Until they have the paradigm shift and the weird laugh turns into a really weird cry until the man on the subway realizes that kids they're out of control because they just lost their mom when you have that shift when you start to see things from a different perspective suddenly desire starts to fill your heart at some point we have to ask ourselves what we truly desire philippians chapter 3 verses 13 through 14 i'm giving you tons of scripture you can just write them down and read them later philippians chapter 3 Verses 13 to 14. This is where Paul said, um, forgetting what lies behind, I'm reaching ahead. At some point, we have to be, do what Paul said. We have to desire what we're reaching for more than what we're letting go of. For Dwight Clark, making the catch was more desirable than any pain he might have endured that day. So at the end of the day, radical followers of Jesus aren't choosing pain because they like it but because it is worth it in order to get what they desire the most, which is the glory of God through them and to men. Here's three verses. I want you to write these down. Matthew 8, 1, Mark 5, 21, and Luke 9, 37. Here's what those verses have in common. Matthew 8, 1, Mark 5, 21, 
and Luke 9, 37. Those verses show in Jesus' life how he would attract a crowd immediately after he had fully extended himself. See, here's what you've got to see happen in your life. It's not just that you desire to be fully extended. It's that when you fully extend your life towards God and towards man, guess what happens? People check that out. They want to be a part of that. Jesus, in those three passages, three times, he has extended himself fully in ministry to the point of exhaustion. And then the crowd shows up. Because desire attracts people. It's contagious. When you and I live a life extended toward God and others, because of our passion for God and others, we will attract God and others. When we go all in, we draw others in too. Some of you have heard me tell the story about Winnie. She went to a wedding to help her mom. Her mom caters. So she's at this wedding with her mom. And when it's all done, they've served all the food, they're kind of hanging out. Her dad is just kind of sitting there on the side, you know, drinking something. And her mom's kind of sitting around there just chilling. And when did, she's on the other side of the room sitting. And they start playing, and they're dancing. Her dad never dances. But her dad goes up to her mom and picks her up, walks her out to the middle of the floor and starts to dance. And Wendy's telling me the story, and I'm like, you're, wait, your dad? Your dad's dancing with your mom? She goes, yeah, can you believe it? I was like, what would you do? She goes, Paul, I stood up. I walked down a little bit so I could see it. That's what passion does. That's what happens when you live a life extended in ministry to God, extended in ministry to man. The passion in you attracts others. They'll actually come closer to you. So they can see a little bit about why you're so passionate. I almost went with this as the big idea, but I didn't. So this is big idea one scratched out. So don't fill in the blanks. I almost put the extended life is a befriended life. I love that. I'm all about rhyming. I don't know why. But it's not, I have a better one, so don't, don't write that one down. But I want you to understand this. We think of ministry like if I go all in with God, then I'm like a monk. And no one's ever going to talk to me. I'm going to lose all my friends. I see it the other way around. When you go all in with God, you actually attract more people to you. If nothing else, they just want to see why you're so crazy. Dude, you are weird. I dated a girl one time who asked us to go lay hands and pray for a vacuum cleaner. In Pizza Hut. They're closing Pizza Hut. The waitress is vacuuming, and all of a sudden it just, like, smelled funny. And then the, the waitress is on the floor, and she's, like, pulling hair and stuff out of the thing, and it won't work. And I'm at a table with my girlfriend and two friends, and my girlfriend turns to me and says, we should go pray. And I said, for what? The vacuum cleaner. Um, I don't think so. <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> But she got up and went. And so, of course, I had to go because she was my girlfriend. And then my friends went because they just wanted to come make fun of me for going with my girlfriend who was going to pray for the vacuum cleaner. And literally, we walked across the, 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 the room. She puts her hand on the vacuum cleaner, looks at me. Fine. 
put my hand on the vacuum cleaner, and she's just like touch. She's just talking to Jesus. She is all in with Jesus at that moment on a vacuum cleaner. Oh God, it doesn't suck. Make it suck again. In Jesus' name, Amen. Pushing the on button, nothing happened. Now, I mean, I'd like to tell you that this story ends with a vacuum cleaner sucking dirt, but it does not. It ends with a broken vacuum cleaner and me with a girlfriend and two friends going. <laughs> but that kind of passion, that kind of I don't really care what you think or they think or she thinks or even the vacuum cleaner thinks, I'm just going to go pray. That's a fully extended life. That is Dwight Clark with the fingertips on the ball, not caring what happens from here to here when he gets hit. Are you all in like that with Jesus? Are you living your life in such a way that you have given God something to protect? When Wendy and I kiss at home, and our kids see it, and they do because we kiss in front of them just on purpose to make this happen. They always do the same thing. Ew! Ew, they did it again. <laughs> sitting sitting by, Parker, Will, look, they're kissing. <laughs> ah! Do it. What is that about? It disgusts me, and yet I cannot look away. <laughs> you see it all the time. People making out in public. It's disgusting and gross, and you call everybody to look at it. <laughs> Every single time. Oh, God. Third table back to the left. Don't look now. Okay, now look. It's gross. It's just, what is Passion. Passion is contagious. When you go all in with Jesus, you attract others to go all in with Jesus. It is not us and Jesus against the world. It is us and Jesus for the world. Are you all in like that? So, here's the big idea. And then we're going to finish this up. We reach for what we value. We reach for what we value. Dwight Clark valued the Super Bowl. Agreed? How do we know? He reached for the ball. He didn't protect himself. He just caught the ball. We reach for what we value. Um, I have this little test. I like to call it the pocket test. Okay? Here's how the pocket test works. You got your hands in your pocket, you're walking down the street. What, what denomination of money makes you pull your hands out of your pocket to pick it up? $100? Oh, yeah. That passes the pocket test, right? Um, 20? See a 20? Yeah, we're, we're, we're picking that up. A 10? Yes. Five? Mm-hmm. Dollar? For me? Yes. A quarter? <laughs> I, I got a feeling that this, this whole illustration could break down because of how bad the economy is right now. 
But my guess is nickel and penny, eh, depends on how I feel. Is that fair to say? I can guarantee you a penny for most of us does not pass the pocket test. Unless it's shiny and heads up and whatever that means about luck that I don't believe in. So spiritually, what passes the pocket test for you? What makes, what is so valuable that it would cause you to reach? Is Jesus, is he valuable enough to make you reach? This this morning I noticed in worship, we actually this morning did more than normal. A lot of, raise your hands, right? So, (laughs) I love it. I just love to watch people get comfortable with that whole thing. I'm not quite sure I'm here yet, but I'll go with you. I'll go out. A lot, you know, I'm not making fun. It's just at some point, here's what happens. At some point, what we value makes us reach a little farther. I, this is a brutal illustration, but you will get it, okay? If my kids were with your kids and we were together in the park and there was a catastrophic meteor that hit, and nobody got killed, but everybody was kind of like woozy. Which kids am I reaching for? Mine. And who are you reaching for? Yours. We reach for what we value. Christians that live their lives like this, hands in their pocket, I'm just serving my time on earth, I'm getting to know Jesus, he and I have a thing going, and honestly, I don't care if you go to hell. That's what we're saying. We're not reaching. You know why we're not reaching out to people that are lost? Because we don't value their souls. Because we reach for what we value. We reach for what we value. Vertically, we extend our lives towards Jesus because we value him. Here's what that means. Uh, This is week nine, the beginning of week nine for the 10 series. At this point, we're starting to say things like this. By the way, if you don't know what the 10 series is, we took the first 10 weeks of the year, and we just said we're going to give God the first 10 minutes of the day in Bible reading. So it's about a chapter a day. Um, We are starting week nine today. At this point, many of us are saying, oh, God, I feel bad for saying this, but please let it end. Many more of us are saying, oh, God, I don't ever want to end. I mean, I am seeing you like I've never seen you before. But you know why you kind of go back and forth emotionally on that? Because it's a discipline. That's not a fun word. So when we're all in, when we extend ourselves vertically to Jesus, here's what that means. It means that spiritual disciplines, we do them because we value what we're reaching for. We don't do them because they're always fun. We do them because we value what we're reaching for. Horizontally. We extend our lives to men when we value their souls. And it means that we serve, even if it can be tiring, because we value their souls. Matthew 20, 28. Jesus made this interesting statement. This is the last verse we're going to read. Matthew 20, 28. Let me just paraphrase this, okay? Jesus is leading a youth group with a bunch of teenagers, 
all right? We call them disciples, but they were teenagers. And they're having this little squabble with each other because two of the teenagers had been working out, getting pumped up, getting ready to be kings. And they were telling Jesus, now, like, when you become king, we want to become little bitty kings, not quite as big as you because you're Jesus, but we want to be king, king with you, mini king. And the other disciples heard about it, and they start fighting with them. Like, what do you think you are anyway? What they really mean is, I was going to ask him the same thing. I want to be king too. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 hold on. Let me just say something to you guys. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Can I paraphrase that and really tick you off? <laughs> when you're saved, you serve. Because when we're saved, we become like Jesus. And so the saved heart serves. Which means this, and here's why I really, and, I, and when I say I'm going to tick you off, it ticks me off too because I have to examine my life. When I don't want to serve people, when I don't want to serve, when I have no desire to serve Jesus or people, what does that say about me? It means that I am nothing like Jesus. If nothing else, in that moment, I'm nothing like Jesus. Because I don't want to give any of myself away. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Saved hearts serve because they value what the cross meant. They value how the cross changed them. And because, because of that, it's an honor to serve. The redeemed life is a fully extended life. It reaches for what it values. We do that, here's what happens. John 12, 32, we read that at the very beginning. Jesus said, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. So when we raise the cross of Christ, fully extend it to the world, what happens? Who's coming? People. They can't help it. They're like, I don't know, I've got to check that out. They're like us watching people make out in public. Oh, I just can't look away. We, we lift him up, and he said, I will draw all men. You know what that means? As a church, when we lift up Jesus, we don't have to wonder if people are going to come. Because they're going to. He just said that. We just get to serve them when they do. We just get to love them when they do. We get to see them come to know Jesus. That's what it means when we lift the cross up. So here's the question for us this morning. Will you make the catch? Will you extend yourself and make the catch? Will, extend, will you extend your lives up and out to serve the king and the souls that he brings into his kingdom.